So, can you turn in your Bibles to Acts 17? Um, incredible, incredible scripture. We're going to read that soon. I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction. Um, Acts 17, verse 17. We're not, we don't have to put it up yet, but I'm going to just... So, we're starting a series. It's a mini-series. Uh, probably over the next two weeks. And then, ja- yeah, this week, next week. And then Jake's with us on the, the end of the month. And then the first week of April, we'll finish it. But just really... Again, just struck, we had, um, a couple of weeks ago, we had that incredible worship time, just, it felt like, for me, it felt like 10 minutes, I looked at my watch, it was an hour later, and, uh, and I just, again, just struck me again about the power of a worshiping church, and as I started to think about these things, I could come along and say, well, I could teach you how to worship, I could teach you about worship, I could teach you about praise, but if we don't get the heart behind why we worship Jesus, it's just going to become an outward thing and an outward act. So for me, this is just, it's just powerful to be part of this. So we've entitled it, Why Am I Here? Okay. Question that many of you may have asked. It's been asked for centuries. It maybe forms our identity. It's maybe the way that's it's why we actually got to church that we've got. And I've got a few little things that the, the earth spins on its axis. Now I got this off Google, so please, please if it's slightly wrong, then it's uh, slightly wrong, okay. But uh, that the, the earth spins on its axis at 1,670 kilometers an hour. It orbits around the sun at 30 kilometers a second. You've got this massive planet where, uh, and this, this, this universe and this galaxy where, the, where we're still trying to find the end of it. And on the middle of that, well, not in the middle, it's actually a, a, like a smaller planet in our galaxy is the earth. The only inhabitable life we, we know and I don't believe in aliens, so, and God doesn't say anything about aliens, so therefore, we are the only people alive, we are the only life in this whole universe, other than what we cannot see. But yet, why am I here? What is my reason for living? Psalm 8.3, for me it just brought me back to this verse, I just kept thinking about it. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you thought of him, and son of man, that you care for him. Have you ever thought about that? You've got God, there's some people who believe that God kind of is there, but he, he'll, never in, he'll never interact with us. Uh, there's some people that b- believe that we have to work our way to God, we have to do a whole bunch of certain things to, to, to earn favor with him, so he would look down upon us favorably. But if you thought about this, this planet that everything works perfectly, that if one thing was out of line, the whole thing would fall apart. But then in the center of that, God, God looks at man and he chooses. First of all, starts with Abraham. Man's sin, we, we mess up, we, we walk away from God. He starts with Abraham. He chooses a person that becomes a nation. Out of that nation becomes Jesus. Out of Jesus comes the church and every tribe and nation and tongue will sing his praise because of, of God coming and dwelling amongst us. And for me, that is the beauty and the magnificence of God, is that he not, he doesn't look from a distance, but he actually, he incarnates himself. Now, I think I've taught on this word before, but we talk about the incarnation of Christ, where he actually, he got into meat. Carne is meat, chili con carne, it's where we get the thing from. Um, It's God became flesh and he dwelt 
amongst us. Philippians 2 is a key verse around that. Is that he lived with us. He, he walked alongside us. He felt our pain. He felt our sorrows. He felt our joy. He felt what it was like to be hungry. There's so many times in the Bible that Jesus was eating and drinking. Just amazing. I take that as a word from the Lord that eating and a fair amount of food is a good thing for you. Okay. Jesus comes and, and he does all of this so we can get to know him. That, he, that, he, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, I love that we're singing songs about the resurrection. That, that, uh, I spoke about this a few weeks ago, but there's a theological term called Christus Victor, which means he is victory, and he has attained victory over death and sickness and everything of the works of the devil. And we, sometimes we can diminish our view of who God is, but he's massive, this huge God who made provision for us to come and so he can walk alongside us. He leaves us the Holy Spirit, which we learned a couple of weeks ago. The Paracletos, the one who walks alongside us. We have communion with God through the Holy Spirit. This is an incredible thing. And I think sometimes we have to, we have to go back, and a lot, of, a lot of us know these things, but to go back to the root of, of being a Christian is this. Man, this is from the Westminster Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. St. Augustine, who was one of the early church fathers by 390 AD, he says this, you have made, uh, sorry, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I'm going to read that again because I was at a church, um, just kind of quick little digress here. I was at a church in Leeds. Uh, it was really cold. Starla was lying in bed. She's like, I'm not getting out of this bed. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to go walk up to a church up the road, an Anglican church. And I don't know what your view of what an Anglican church is, but this was, it was this, this incredibly spirit-filled, pumping Anglican church. And uh, the, the girl that was speaking there, she put this quote up, and it just, it just hit me. And uh, I'll tell you another story later. Jesus said, so, St. Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We are made in the image of God. And we only find out who we are, what we are made for when we actually come face to face with Jesus Christ. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And I, I think there was something of renewing in my heart of who Jesus is and why we have church we went to a, a church in Bradford. I don't know who knows where Bradford is. It's just uh, the other side of Leeds. I found out afterwards that it was uh, during the Victorian age, it was an industrial town, made lots of money. And due to the industry kind of through recession and different, different things going down, the industry has gone down quite rapidly. Uh, it's become quite poor. We, Stahl and I drove from Leeds. We're staying in a nice little hotel. We drove and then we, we go through Bradford. Now, it's... it's it's amazing because I don't think we see much poverty here. We, see, we, we do know there's people that are struggling. You just go 300 meters that way, there's people struggling. But sometimes in your own city, you can, you can just get on with it. And it opened my eyes again. And we're driving through Bradford, and I saw lots of, there's lots of people on the streets and the freezing cold, and it was, it was killing me. I was carrying around a jacket to try to find a guy that I could just kind of throw it over, you know. But there's this just, and you're driving through and you can see like a city. And even though England is wealthy and it has a lot of stuff going for it, there's parts of it that are, are, are really in poverty. And we're driving through on the way to Bradford and we're seeing mosques on either side. And I'm like, wow, this is, 
This is just crazy that we, we, we're in England. Am I right, Johnny? It's not, it's not posh uh, uh, Kensington, London. It's, it's pretty rough, you know? And uh, we, we go in and then we pull up to this church, which is kind of in an industrial area called Life Church, led by a couple, Stephen, Charlotte, Gamble, quite a big church. They were going for 25, 30 years. And um, as I walked in, I was just, it's called Life Church, but I was struck with a sense of the life of God. I was like, wow, this is incredible. As I walk in, I see a guy pushing his kid in a pram. Uh, his wife was all tanned. You know they go to tanning salons in the UK. They love it, eh? And, uh, so, but he had like a tattoo across his eye. And I thought, his eyes told a story. I walk in, and with the row that we were sitting, I could count about five or six single moms. And then that moment, it hit me. The church is the hope of the world. Jesus, through, he, he loves that area of Bradford so much that he puts this outpost of grace that people can come and find their their hope. They can kind of come and find their meaning. They can come and find the reason they were alive. Even though they they may have lived abused, they may have abused others, they may have committed these uh, terrible things or or stuff has been done to them. They live under this terrible uh, oppression. But they can come into a church where there's the people of God and it's positivity and it's life. That's why I believe the local church should be the most positive place on this planet. We should walk in, no matter, and that's not fake. It's like, okay, I've had a terrible week, but I know that Jesus is good. He's on his throne and he loves me. And you had that sense when you walked in that these people, a lot of them probably living on welfare and it's really tough, but they had found the life of God. And for me, it, was just, it just brought a renewed sense of why we have the church. It's not so we can sing some nice songs and, and do, play a few tunes. It's, it's, it's what we did now when we had community together. It's loving one another. It's, it's exposing something of our weaknesses. It's covenant relationships. It's, it's our lives changing so we can glorify God together. Our chief end in our life is to glorify God and enjoy Him. So we can get to know God. There's, there's the unending depths of who God is. We, can, we, if we must understand doctrine and theology because it, it opens up our hearts and minds to who God is. But it never stops there. We, we can know God. Just think about this. This is planets spinning around the sun. Super fast. We can know God who created everything. It's an incredible thing. And this is the hope of this church. This is the hope of city lights. This is why we are lights in the city. So we can bring hope to those who don't know Jesus. People come to Dubai with ideas of grandeur. Am I right? Even in a time of recession, people think, well, at least I can earn money in Dubai. But I know you can talk to some people in this room where they've been bitten badly by Dubai. And people come in, and three things happen when you come to Dubai often if your focus is not in the right place. You have debt, divorce, and you get disillusioned. The three Ds. The three Ds of Dubai is debt, divorce, and disillusionment. And that's... What happens? Because you come into a city where you've got no family structure, you think you're strong, you think your family's strong, and things start to fall apart. Thank goodness for the local church, who can be an outpost of grace, who can be an example of what the city can be like. And so today I'm going to be talking a little bit about our idols. You may think we don't have idols, we do. I want to read just a few quotes. This is by uh, a dude by the name of Alex de Tocqueville. He's a French guy that made some observations on America. America always gets knocked, but sorry about that. Matt, he's not here. Cool, done. Um, The incomplete joys of this world will never never satisfy the human heart. Tim Keller says this, 
Americans, and I can put in brackets, Dubaians, believed that prosperity could quench their yearning for happiness. Tim Keller again. When you lose your ultimate source of your meaning or hope, there are no alternatives to turn to, and it breaks your spirit. And if you look in 2008 and in 2009, there were all those, uh, the, those, those people that committed suicide because they lost their clients billions of money, billions of, of dollars, and uh, they, they had nowhere to turn because they pinned their hope on, on something as futile as money. And for me, I want to talk about how we actually, if we want to glorify God and we want to talk about worship, it has to involve our whole lives. It has to involve everything I do. My workspace is my worship space. Um, we've got some CrossFit trainers. That is the place that he's worshiping God. He's training people, but he's worshiping God. You're a school teacher. You, you're teaching people, but you're worshiping God. You're a financial advisor. You, you're advising people financially, but you're worshiping God because your heart is rendered towards him. And it becomes everything. Acts 17, I'm going to read through this now. Acts 17 verse 16 says this. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, so Paul is uh, an apostle, really just the New Testament tracks a lot of his life, but he's traveling from different towns to nations where God's telling him to go, and he's, he's, he's the apostle, the, 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 the gospel proclaimer to the Gentiles. His spirit was provoked within in him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. I love, Paul was unrelenting in preaching the gospel. He's just like, I'm just going to speak. Whoever wants to listen, must listen. It said, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what is this, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he is preaching on Jesus and the resurrection. If you look throughout the New Testament, they didn't preach on much else but the resurrection power of Jesus. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. It ignites our heart to God. It changes us. It makes us become born again. It gives us a soft heart where we had a heart of stone. Verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Arapagus saying, may we know what this new teaching, uh, sorry, may we know this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend uh, their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Isn't that so much like our culture? We have this insatiable need for something new. It's like Twitter's going out of business because it's old news. There's a Facebook, I, I think they have to keep reinventing themselves or keep, keep trying to be on the edge to, 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 because there's always something new that this world is offering us. So as Paul standing in the midst of the Arapagus, the Arapagus was uh, in, uh, in Athens. They used to kind of have courts there and, and, and uh, the philosophers used to debate and etc. So, so basically he was in the highest point of the city, the most important point of the city. It says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious because he saw all the idols. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found... Also, an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What you therefore worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And I love that Paul contextualizes himself. He goes into a city and he says he's trying to find the gospel path. He's trying to find a way that he can reach people's hearts. He says, that God that you have to the unknown God, he says, that's the God I know. And he's known to me. 
the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. It's amazing. All the religious stuff and the stuff that people do to try to get to God, it actually, God's just saying, I didn't, I didn't ask you for that. I just ask you to put faith in me. Since he himself gives life to all mankind and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods, this is good, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel the way towards him, yet he is actually not far from every one of us. Amazing. There's so many things you can preach out of there. I just love that, that, uh, that God has his plan of redemption. He's placed people in certain places in certain times so we'd somehow reach out to him. You have found your way, whether it was through work or someone in, invited you to come to Dubai or whatever it is. Maybe, maybe your parents are here. But God has allotted you to be in this place so you'd somehow reach out and find me if you don't know Jesus this morning. I just want to just give just a few quick little thoughts. So the Greek gods had four, four they had many gods, but I'm going to mention a few here. They had Aphrodite, the god of beauty. They had Ares, I don't know how to say it, the god of war. They had Artemis, the god of fertility. They had Hephaestus, Hephaestus. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? The god of craftsmanship. So they had these physical gods, and you're probably thinking, well, do I have idols in my life? And don't you think it's amazing that those four things are the four things that we still struggle with in our day? We have the gods of beauty, power, achievement, and status. And those are the things that we can put in our, as idols in our heart that prevent us from seeing the living God. Let me give you a few examples. Our bodies. We have our spas and our gyms as our worship places. We don't have totem poles, incense, and priests, but we have certain places that we, that we take worship. We have work. We have our office towers where we sometimes perform child sacrifice. No, we don't. We leave our children at home and we, we focus completely on our job because success and making money is more important than my kids and their future. You do it in the name of their future, but actually the thing that's driving our hearts is success and more money. Power. Men sacrifice everything, their dignity, everything to have more power. Ezekiel 14 verse 3 says, Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They've embraced things that will make them fall into sin. And I think my heart this morning is that there's actually, if we're honest with ourselves, there's, there's stuff we put in the way of God. And if we want to start being a worshiping community, we have to, we have, to have a wholehearted devotion towards Jesus Christ. Putting Him first, trusting Him first. Not in my job, not in my family, not in my wife, not in uh, what my perceived future is, but in Jesus first. Because the Bible is clear that we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. He gives you everything else. And I love what it says in uh, Ezekiel 14.3. It says, they've set up idols in their hearts. And what this means is that we've taken good things, like a career, possessions, spouses, looking after our bodies, and we've made them into the ultimate things. That that is the number one thing in our life. And, uh, and you know when you touch people's idols, they, they, they fight you on it. And I, we've, I've, a few times I've touched people's idols in church and people haven't been happy and some people have never come back, but what do you do, you know? You, you, you have, all I can do is bring the truth of God that all He wants from us is a, is a broken and contrite heart before Him and, and say, Jesus, you have everything. I trust you with everything. We have our spiritual addictions. 
and we replace these things where God is meant to be. I'm going to talk about what an idol is. Tim Keller says this, In ancient times, deities were hard to please. They were bloodthirsty. They still are. If we start running after things that only, and, and trying to put stuff in place that only God can really satisfy, that's going to end up, it's going to end up crossing your life. It's going to end up crossing your family's life. And some of you have maybe even walked into that. There's a, there's a point this morning where we can have find redemption in Him. Lord of the Rings, who's a big fan? I'm saying like a half fan. Um, I've watched it once. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to dress up as a Lord of the Rings guy to dress up party. I've got hairy feet. Um, and I really wish Ramsey was here because he has very hobbit feet. Um, but anyway, he's not. I'm still going to rip him off. I uh, would have been able to give you an example. But if you look at... So J.R. Tolkien was a, a Christian, so we may, may, may or may not know that. He actually led C.S. Lewis to the Lord, he, uh, which C.S. Lewis became a prolific writer and one of the greatest apologists of the Christian faith in the past 100, 150 years. But if you look at the central plot of the Lord of the Rings is the ring, obviously. And if you look at anyone who takes possession of it, they become possessed by it. Even the people with the best intentions, it becomes a, it becomes a spiritual addiction where they have to just stick this ring on and if you put that ring on for too long, what do you become? You become Schmeagel. And uh, Schmeagel freaks me out every time. I just get like, my hair is literally stand up. We take a good thing and we make it the ultimate thing. Exodus 20, verse uh, 2 to 4 says this. I am the Lord your God. This is the first commandment. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God knew that you're enslaved to idols, you're enslaved to people. You shall have no gods other than me, sorry, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make, you shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. Jesus, so God had to take the, the Israelite people out of Egypt from a polytheistic uh, idol worshipping culture where they worshipped animals, they worshipped uh, cats, they worshipped everything. See, um, cats are a different category to animals, just in case you want to know. Um, and... Uh, where they, they worshipped them, they were about, and he had this polytheistic people, and then God brought them to understand that he had no gods before me. And they kept, if you look at the Israelite history, when they're going through the desert, they kept going back to idols. They went, Moses goes up for a couple of days, we don't know how long it was, he was up there getting the tablets, comes down and they're worshipping Baal. There's just, and the thing is, God has made us to worship. So he knows that if it's not him, it's going to be something else. So God gives us a warning, he says, listen, don't put idols in your life. We, we may not have idols set up in our house that we worship. And if you do, please go take it down because Jesus crushed every idol that, that ever was. But we, 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 we worship the living God. We worship the living King. We do not worship things created by imaginations or by our hands. In our DNA, we are made to worship. So what is an idol? It is anything more important than God. Just think about this for a few seconds. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give, to give you what only God can give you. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you, that is an idol in your heart. And if we want to be a worshiping people and we want to see times, and for me, this uh, a Friday worship time and expression is just the cherry on the cake, that worship is our whole lives. And if we have, if we have stuff... Sometimes we use actually God for a means to an end. So actually we are worshiping these other idols, but we use God to get to the idol. So we're like, okay, cool. 
I know God, if, if I do some principles right, He's going to bless me with money. Therefore, my God is money. We, we've, missed, we've missed the point. It's about Jesus first. It's about seeking Him first. It's about laying down the idols that are in our heart on every level. When your meaning in life is fixed to someone else, some call it codependency, but it's actually an idol. Talk about codependency. I can't do this without this other person. Husbands and wives, the best thing that your spouse can ever do is to seek God. Wives, husbands, look at your husbands and wives and say that the best thing that they can do is for them to run in the purposes of God. Do not stand in their way. Do not stand in the purpose, what God has planned on their life. Get behind, work with, get into team, work together because there's a greater purpose that God has for us. Family, a good thing. Blessing from God. Incredible. It's, it's God's pattern. But the moment our family replaces the thing that only God can, can bring in our lives, it becomes an idol in our lives. And it's, uh, God, uh, this, um, Charlotte Gamble was preaching this past weekend. We went to a church that told it in Leeds, uh, in Bradford. And she was just saying, she said the best thing that she was preaching on Mother's Day, the best thing that you can do as moms is to realize that you are stewards of your kids. That they're God's first, and then they're yours. We get that right. We're going we're gonna to raise up a generation that is so on fire for Jesus that doesn't put everything else first, but puts God first in everything they do. Christians also have idols. No, not me. The one is called pride. My marriage is in such a good place. I pray more than you. I'm more spiritual than you. I fast 14 times a week. It's not possible, but I do it because I'm that much more spiritual than you are. And sometimes our morality and how we act towards others can become more important than the the God you're actually doing it for. And I, I think we have to realize in our lives there's always idols. Sometimes, and I know as a worship leader, sometimes the way we worship can be sometimes get into a place where that's almost more important than the one we are worshiping. It can become an idol. It's anything that gets in the way of you understanding who God is. Giving. Ministry and success. If I'm looking at myself as a pastor, you want to be, you want to be successful, you know? And I've seen guys and friends of mine that have put almost their marriages, everything on the line just to be successful in ministry. And I can tell you what has happened in their marriages and their lives. It's fallen apart. My first sheep is my wife. If I don't look after her, I may as well not even, I do not qualify to stand up and say a thing here. You're, if you're a leader in the church, your first sheep is, is your family, is, is those around you. Are you looking after them? Are you loving them? Are you pointing them towards Jesus? Because that qualifies you for ministry. It qualifies you for greater things in Him. Community exposes our idols. I'm almost done. Do you know that we're all born with a blind spot in our eyes? Did you know that? Who knew that? Some, some guys in the Google well. And, uh, and I did the test last night. There's some kind of blind spots that you can look. But they do little things that, that in, in your eye, I think it's called this. Is there an eye surgeon here? No. Because I don't want to get things wrong. Okay, cool. I can say anything now. Um, <laughs> I think it's called a scotoma, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly. But... Um, Basically, we have a blind spot in us. And I, I just, 
this, this lady who we, we listened to while we were at the conference, she was just talking about this, and she says, God, why, why have we been given a blind spot? And she almost like, everyone has obviously a blind spot in the eye, but there's also blind spots in our lives that, that others see and you don't see. And how awkward is it when you have to bring out other people's blind spots? Because no one likes their blind spots being told out. My wife does it to me occasionally, and I just, I hate it. I'm not going to lie. No one likes being told something where you think you're something, and actually, and it's good. So God puts us into community, and often those blind spots are idols. Often they're, they're things that are preventing you from walking to the, what the more that God has for you. And we need to, first of all, expose ourselves to others. That's why community groups are good. It's not just good to arrive on Friday and then leave again. Good to get involved in a closer-knit community where people can actually see you closely and, and actually love you, and, and you can expose your heart in a safe place, and, and you can have your life grown in a soap. Because if you look at Acts 2.42, they met in the temple, which is, in a sense, this, and they met house to house daily. They were meeting, they were, they were together. We need community to expose the stuff that sometimes no one else wants to tell you. And sometimes our wives are too scared to tell the husbands where their blind spots are because they're scared of the reaction. We need to be able to have people speak into our lives and, uh, and make adjustments. Get feedback on your life. Ask people to speak into your life. It's good. It's, it makes you stronger, it makes you better, and it uh, makes you look more like Jesus. I've got, uh, I saw Rian earlier, Rian is Rom's kid, he was trying to steal one of these sweets. But, um, so for me an idol in some ways is like this, and putting an idol first and putting things where only God can fill first in our lives. It's like, if I eat this, I love these. I don't know if you guys love soft sweets, but these are like, mm. and um, this one has like, like jelly inside. But if I eat this, it kind of has a vague taste of grape. Great. It's like, oh, cool, I'm getting my grape. It even says it has like added vitamin C, so I'm getting nutrition from this thing as well. And then, um, but then I pick up this, which we bought in England, by the way. Still kept it. Um, and this is the real thing. And the way an idol is, is that it, it poses itself as the real thing. So you may eat it for a while and it tastes good and it's enjoyable. It'll actually always be enjoyable, but the, the end goal of this thing is that it's going to make you sick and it's not going to give you any nutritional value the end goal of the real thing is that it's going to bring life into you. And I think that's for me is that when we start putting other stuff in, in, in place where God should be, it's like eating sweets the whole time. But if we put God first, it's like eating the thing that's going to bring nutrition and life into your bones and into your body. So just quickly, I want to read in conclusion. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Can we put up the Romans 1.18? I think it's... There we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, His namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been, uh, been made, so they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish, in their hearts, the, sorry, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for, 
uh, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping and crawling things. Paul speaking to a first century church, nothing has changed. We can see who God is by creation, but we prefer to worship things. We prefer to worship jobs. We prefer to worship objects, possessions, cars, whatever it is. We prefer to worship those things as opposed to pouring our affections onto Jesus. Matt Redman wrote a song back in the early 90s, coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. And I, I think there's something powerful in this so simple lines is that our worship, not just our singing on a, on a Friday, but our worship of our lives is our lives poured out and sacrificed and given to Jesus. Clint walked in this morning and we had a prayer meeting and he said he felt God speaking this morning about us becoming more selfless. And I think when we are selfless and we understand what that truly means, we start to see the kingdom of God come. We start to see Jesus reign. We start to see Jesus reign not in our lives, but we become an example for the world to follow. Can the worship team come up, please? We're going to sing a song because I think it's appropriate after I've spoken about us pouring out our lives to actually sing a song of praise to our King. St. Augustine said this, You have made for yourself, O Lord, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. And I really want us this morning, and I'm not going to do like people come to the front, we're going to pray for you. I think we, we need to have a moment where we can engage God for ourselves, where we can seek Him. So can we stand to our feet, please? Maybe it's a moment for you to, um, to ask God to, to release you of any idolatry you've had in your heart. If there's stuff that I've touched on today that is, that is just kind of hits, hits a nerve, this is a moment where you can actually just say, God, I release it to you. So can we close our eyes together? And if that is you, just, just release it to God. Say, God, would you forgive me if I've put stuff ahead of you, if I've made whatever, lesser things more important than the main thing, which is you, Jesus. God, we long to be a people of worship where we worship in spirit and in truth. And it's a simple shift of our hearts towards you, the living God. We worship you this morning.